You're listening to Threads Radio. My name's Luke Fraser, and this is The Tonic.
Radiant Gloom. Two pieces there from Vesperi, the brilliant debut release by Italian composer Marco Baldini. The first you heard was Bordon, and the second, Corteccia. From just outside Firenze, he's a librarian by day with an academic background in Roman archaeology and whose musical path has taken him from jazz and free improvisation via the indeterminate and graphic scores of composers like John Cage and Cornelius Cardew towards structured composition. And this album, recorded by the Florence-based ensemble Blutwurst, of which he's a co-founder, is the result. It features a series of minimal works for low strings, as well as marimba on a few of the pieces, that draw both literally and figuratively from the music of the Italian Renaissance and that of the Hindustani or North Indian classical tradition. Of the two you heard, Bordon falls into the figurative group, whilst Corteccia is based on excerpts of Florentine composer Francesco Corteccia's works, taken from the responsori per la settimana santa, written in 1527. Marco Baldini's approach to that work, and with other borrowings on the record, was to strip away elements that he calls too connotative, such as more leading harmonic sequences or melodic embellishments, and as a result to, in his words, expunge the harmonic skeleton. Well, what else would you expect from an archaeologist composer? Another key transformation, though, is temporal, He tends to work with quite long forms and by stretching the events in his source materials. You can really hear that in Corteccia, whilst Bordon could almost be viewed as this process taken to a logical extreme. It's as though a single moment in time from some work has been, if not quite frozen, then placed under an oral microscope so the molecular substructures underpinning a single pitch can be heard. He said that, I found that by simplifying and slowing down a polyphonic composition, Unexpected details are often revealed, and harmonic solutions, previously hidden by the speed of the performance, emerge. It's a fertile approach, and one which, like so much immersive slow-moving music, whether it be minimalism, ambient, drone, and so on, presents, I think, an increasingly useful tonic against the frazzled pace of so much of our modern arts and media landscape. Here instead we have something that allows one just to exist, and to sit for a while in the calm of its dimly lit space. The members of Ensemble Blutwurst you heard there are Niccolo Carradi and Michele Lanzini, cello, and Maurizio Constantini and Amadeo Verniani on double bass, and they were conducted by Luisa Santa Cesaria. The album Vesperi was just released earlier this year on another timbre.
That's the title track of London-based percussionist and composer Valentina Magalati's 2022 release, A Queer Anthology of Drums, now re-released on Beijing-based BA Records after being put out digitally the previous year, I think, by London-based Cafe Otto's Takaroku label. From Bari, Italy, she's collaborated with a whole host of musicians from Rain, Helm, Gendek and Floating Points to members of Can, Wire and Coil. And she's also part of the groups Moin, Vanishing Twin, Tamaga and CZN. Queer Anthology is one of several releases under her own name and it's been described as a future fluid evolution of post-punk, industrial murk, free jazz fizz, electroacoustic trickery and avant minimalist mischief. She recorded the album at home, mixing drums, field recordings, vibraphones, toys and oscillators into a collage of rhythm and sound. I had the pleasure of seeing a solo set she played at King's Place in London earlier this year and it struck me that she's doing something quite unique in blending found sound and bits of spoken word in that particular show with percussion in a way that I hadn't really heard before. As great as the groove is in that one particular track, her music is not really drumming as drumming in the conventional muso sense. It's not really jazz, and it's not free improv either, due to the way that she constructs and collages her recordings, presumably at least partly post hoc. Instead, there's a reflexive approach at work in terms of her source materials that seems to offer a kind of commentary upon them, even if that's not particularly explicit. Here's one more off the album. Thank you. 
some real quirk there, like something out of a Fellini film. That's the carnivalesque sound of Tutti al Circo by Valentina Magaletti, the closing track of her 2022 release, A Queer Anthology of Drums, put out on BA Records last year.
That's a couple of movements there of LA-based percussionist and composer Derek Twionyuk's Bluets. You heard number 75 and numbers 238 to 240. And it's taken from the eponymously titled album by the also LA-based Aperture Duo. They're Adrian Pope, violin, and Linnea Powell, viola. And that album also contains the brilliant piece My Loves Are in America by Carolyn Chen that I played on this show at some point last year. The Bluettes are inspired by US poet and author Maggie Nelson's collection of the same name. There are 240 prose and poetry entries that have been described as an exploration of personal suffering and the limitations of love as refracted through the colour blue. Aperture described Twionic's musical response as a synesthetic encounter. Bluettes is a dance and play of the between. To me, they're really well-focused miniatures that have a real sense of wistfulness running throughout and that make a great complement to their source material. That record, Aperture Duo, was put out on Populist Records last year.
I really must get that CD player looked at. That was, well, not quite a malfunctioning playthrough of Waiting for a Star to Fall by 80s American pop duo Boy Meets Girl. Fun fact, did you know they also wrote both How Will I Know and I Want to Dance with Somebody Who Loves Me for Whitney Houston? Now, that's not bad going. No, that was in fact Corzo by US composer and general plunderphonic wizard Carl Stone. He's been making primarily electronic music since around the late 60s, and for the past couple of decades, I think, has pretty much only made music via laptop using the graphical programming environment Max MSP. Think of it as patching things into other things to make yet more things happen. I was fortunate enough to catch him as part of a three-day residency at Cafe Otto last month and noted that he is now branched out into using a tablet as well, enabling him to move around on stage, if not quite to dance along to his often highly rhythmically driven music. His work is what you might call plunderphonics, a classical quote-unquote music equivalent, if you like, of sampling in hip-hop that was pioneered by John Oswald. He was famously sued by the lawyers and Michael Jackson for appropriating the track bad and turning it into an oral fun house of mirrors. Worth having a listen to that, for sure. It's an extreme version of remixing, in a sense, based on granular synthesis, the technique of splicing up audio into tiny grains or atoms, each of perhaps only a few milliseconds, then processing them in some way or other, before finally aggregating them back together into larger clouds of sound. It's really an aesthetic driven by the process of deconstruction and reconstruction, rather than one dictated by the style of the source. And in this sense, the surface style from one piece to the next can vary wildly, united though as they are by that singular approach. I chose that piece to play in particular because I happen to know the source, so it's possible to get real insight into what exactly he's doing with it. And what struck me as pretty crazy is that his mashup is still consistently in 4-4 and that it still has exactly the same chord structure as the original. But it's as though each individual bar has been sliced and diced a thousand ways, with new melodies and microtextures emerging. Now just turning 60, his career seems to me to have been on a very interesting, almost reverse trajectory. The earlier works from the 70s and 80s feel slightly more academic, that's not a criticism, whilst over recent years he's moved towards releasing music directly with increasing frequency and using contemporary source materials, which definitely gives his music a sense of edginess, for want of a better term, that's pretty rare in already well-established composers of his vintage. From his perspective, he said that, I think it's interesting to evaluate my music by the standards of pop, although I think it would consistently fail if that's the only way to listen. What I do is often pop, but from a critical perspective that takes pop tropes and turns them on their heads. A longtime resident of Tokyo alongside the US, he's collaborated widely with Southeast Asian musicians and artists. And another fun fact, as far as I'm aware, all of his compositions are named after one or other restaurant he's eaten at in some point in the past. The album that piece is taken from, 2022's Wat Dong Moon Lek, released on Unseen Worlds, is the name of a favourite Thai restaurant of his, based in LA. Anyhow, here's one more recent piece of his, really just to show his approach at work on a different genre.
that's Carl Stern's Mercato from 2022. And a quick search tells me you can find it in London's King's Cross, serving top-rated Ethiopian and Eritrean cuisine. Give it a spin, why not? Maybe they also play the record that's from Electronic Music from 1972 to 2022, put out by Unseen Worlds this year.
a return to Nigeria there after a visit by this show a few episodes back. That was Leki Aya Freeway by Lagos and Berlin-based Emeka Ogbo, a sound and installation artist best known for his audioscapes of life in the city's megalopolis. His work has typically been based around field recordings in this sense, for instance, Lagos's markets or his Danfo share taxi system, exhibited as gallery installations in Europe and beyond. It's work that captures what's being described as the maddening hypervisuality of Lagos, and it's sometimes created controversy when exhibited in public space, I think, due to the sheer intensity of the noise. For his part, he said that Lagos's intense natural soundscapes are jarring for everyone. Up to this point, it seems he's not been so much a beatmaker per se, but when the pandemic shut down clubs in Berlin during 2020, its legendary Berghain became an art gallery and included a piece from Ogbo inspired by Lagos's red light district. Apparently, the Berghain admin were so taken with the piece that they asked Ogbo if he would be interested in releasing something on Aton, the club's in-house label for experimental music. And to me, that's an interesting route to have taken. He clearly has a real gift for production, but it's the background in field recording that really comes through on his debut record. He's now on his second, I think, called Beyond the Yellow Haze. Rather than beats plus a few samples, it feels on many tracks, like the field recordings are the jumping off point, that he's documenting the sounds of the city through the prism of techno, as it were. The album was itself based on a 2018 exhibition called No Condition is Permanent, an installation that explored the rapid urbanisation of Lagos through both sound and video. And he's spoken about the city's runaway modernisation, with, for example, its modernised freeways that ban hawkers, meaning that Danfo drivers can no longer operate on some major routes. As the city grows, so, it seems, it eats its own tail. I guess this hardly makes Lagos unique, but what we have here alongside some great music production is a document of a place at a point in time that cannot be gone back to. As mentioned, that album, Beyond the Yellow Haze, was released on Aton in 2021.
more from Lagos there. That's a purified soul by Ibukan Sunday, the Nigerian electronic musician and violist who's had a couple of releases now on the UK label Phantom Limb, along with others on his own Bandcamp. And that piece is taken from the just released EP Divine. It's a great listen, and for me, its four pieces feel perhaps more fully developed than some of those on his previous releases. Purely as a by-the-by, I was lucky enough to catch him playing a DJ set earlier this year that evolved from vocal fragments into a whole wall of sound. It was really brilliantly done and cinematic in feel. As with Emeka Ogbo, he makes heavy use of field recordings taken in Nigeria, which are woven into his particular style of ambient music. It recalls to me somewhat the music of Kenyan ambient sound artist Joseph Kamaru, aka KMRU, whose work also makes heavy use of field recordings. Though whilst the track I played there provides a moment of lightness, I find Ibukan Sunday's music a bit darker generally perhaps, with its recurrent themes of existence, humanity and apocalypse. Spiritual teaching is also an ongoing concern. The liner notes from Divine, quote from the Bhagavad Gita, the steadily devoted soul attains unadulterated peace because he offers the result of all activities to me. Whereas a person who is not in union with the divine, who is greedy for the fruits of his labor, becomes entangled. That EP, as mentioned, Divine, has just been released on Ibukun Sunday's Bandcamp.
The piano is a curious instrument in a few ways. One is that it's a stringed instrument, but of course the strings are struck by hammers once the piano keys are played by the performer. As the keys are struck, that technically makes it a percussion instrument, a percussive chordophone to be precise, according to the Hornbostel sax system of classification. This kind of taxonomy can get pretty weird quite quickly. Have you ever considered, for example, that the organ is really a kind of wind instrument? Anyhow, so much piano music and piano playing aims for what you might call a lyrical legato or bel canto sound, which belies its ultimately mechanical nature. That mechanical percussive nature was only really explored quite late in the piano's history in the 20th century, in particular with the music of Eastern European composers such as Bela Bartok, though you can hear it to varying degrees in a whole range of musical styles from around the world, mixed in with more or less lyricism to continue with that slightly overly simplified distinction. Anyhow, the piece you just heard is a great example of the percussive style. You can imagine the piano there almost as a large marimba or balafon, perhaps. It's the first movement, Ukom, of the piece Talking Drum by the composer and ethnomusicologist Joseph Azoigwe. From Umahea in Abia State, Nigeria, he was a member of the Igbo ethnic group and the piece draws from rhythms and melodies characteristic of Igbo music. I love the rhythmic interplay between the hands, those repeating rhythmic figures, and the minor pentatonic mood, which just holds the whole thing together. It was performed brilliantly there by the pianist William Chapman Naiho, and it's taken from his album Senku, piano music by composers of African descent, and it was released on Musicians Showcase Recordings back in 
Costa.
Now, if, like me, you regularly wake up thinking to yourself, I really wonder what 29 spatialized piccolos sound like, you finally have your answer. That's Atolls, written in 2013 by David Bird, and it's featured on the extraordinary debut album by flautist Laura Cox. It's called Field Anatomies, and it came out last year on Carrier Records. It's a collection of five pretty punishingly physical works, of which Atolls is the opener. It features the solo piccolo you heard throughout, alongside those 29 spatialized ones. Somewhat brilliantly, all the pitch material within it is derived both from the combined spectral analysis of a crash symbol and Janet Lee's scream from the infamous shower scene in Hitchcock's Psycho. It's also inspired by the great Chilean novelist Roberto Bolaño's final novel, 2666, whose plot concerns a series of unresolved female homicides in Santa Teresa, a violent city based on Ciudad Juarez. And you can find certain words from the novel interspersed during the early stages of the piece. It's an intense listen. I love the interplay between the sections of scrambling melody, the pops and clicks of the keys, and the stasis of the multi-layered passages. One writer described the moment within it as sounding like a shoal of frenzied fish flashing by, and I really got that sense of an underwater landscape as well. It is something of an endurance, pushing the boundaries of what's possible for woodwinds in terms of breath control, phrasing, extended techniques, and so on. In reading about the album, the term flute body kept coming up. That ideal, I guess, of the dissolving of the separation between musician and their instrument. It's something I've reflected on myself in thinking about what we mean in an ideal sense by the term musical instrument. Really, the instrument is myself and the instrument. And in terms of what performing is, those two can't be separated. That album by Laura Cox, as mentioned, Field Anatomies, was released on Carrier Records last year.
That was Koi Inoa, written in 2017 by Leilohua Lanzalotti, a Karnaka Maoli composer and sound artist from Honolulu, Hawaii. Described as a homesick barriolage based on the anthem Hawaii Aloha, it exists in a few different versions, of which this violin version is one of the more recent, I think. She began writing the original viola version whilst living in Germany and playing the anthem in order to feel closer to home. Barriolage, as mentioned in that quote, is a technique where the same pitch is played across different strings, one of them usually being open or unstopped, in order to exploit the differences in timbre between them. And Koyanoa translates from Alelo Hawaii to My Name Is, and it traces the gradual emergence of the melody of the Hawaiian anthem, which is interspersed with a certain rhythmic freedom, I think, through the notes of the barriolage. The anthem, when performed as a concert opener, functions as a welcoming gesture rooted in the Karnaka Maoli protocols of first contact, basically as a means to introduce who you are, hence my name is. That identity I sense in this piece is therefore for Lehuela Lanzalotti both personal and cultural, guided by a sense of the place we call home, and there's a real poignancy to it. It was performed there by violinist, vocalist, and steel pianist Yaz Lancaster, who describes themselves as a black transdisciplinary artist, and it's taken from their debut album Amethyst, recently released on the label People Places Records. Just a quick shout out for it really, as it's a pretty extraordinary mix of genres, ranging from classical to outright noise, to R&B, to vaporwave. Each of the 11 pieces seem to exist in a completely different genre, yet it somehow hangs together, I think through sheer force of personality. A really lively debut, and I'd be interested to see where they go next.
some really gorgeous sound worlds on that album. That was 2016's Ears by Caitlin Aurelia Smith. And the two pieces you heard there were Wetlands and When I Try, I'm Full. She's a US composer, performer, and producer, originally from Orcas Island, northwestern Washington state, and she's currently based in LA. She's well known for her modular synth work, particularly with the Buckler music easel. She said that there's lots of room for happy accidents with a Buckler because it's not very predictable. If you turn on a light in a room that you're working in, or if the grounding isn't properly grounded, or if you plug in something else, all of a sudden something will change. That gives me this feeling of working with a life and that there is biofeedback. She's also said in her mind that the Buckler has the most human sound to it. And I think that's the key to quite a unique aspect of her work for me. There's a definite blurring of the acoustic and the electric, and there often seems to be a form of role reversal going on, whereby acoustic instruments sound like electronic ones. Electronic sounds recall the natural world, and her voice has the vocoder-like quality of the machine. It's an acquired taste, perhaps. Whilst the words are not, I think, intended to be decipherable, there is a general sense through the album of wide-eyed wonder, along with the disorientation brought about by recontextualization, that for me somehow tends to cast each piece in a similar vein, nice as that is. She's amassed a pretty large discography now, though, so there's loads of other things to check out. That album, Ears, was released on Western Vinyl in 2016.
that's such an amazing recording. You really get the sense of being right there in that wonderful space. It's the Tank Center for Sonic Arts in Rangeley, Colorado, in case you were wondering. What you heard there is the first part, the opening constellation, Summer, of Michael Harrison's 2016 piece, Just Constellations. From Eugene, Oregon, he's a composer and pianist now based in NYC. And slight side note, but in the 80s he designed and produced something called the harmonic piano, effectively a modified grand piano with the ability to play 24 notes per octave. It's an invention that's been called an indisputable landmark in the history of Western tuning. It's well worth checking out some of the recordings he's made using it. You can find them on YouTube. It's a weirdly uncanny reframing of such a familiar sound. Anyhow, the whole piece from which what you just heard was taken contains four interconnected constellations or movements of justly tuned chords and modes. As a quick recap, just tuning or just intonation is where the frequencies of different notes relate to each other in whole integer ratios. In a nutshell, it's much more sonorous and harmonically rich than the standard equal temperament that we almost exclusively use today. Michael Harrison was also singing and studying classical Indian vocal music, which also relies on just tunings. He'd imagined how the sustained harmonies he produced on the piano might translate to the voice, but realized this could only really be achieved with a vocal ensemble. Fortunately, the idea became reality when he was commissioned by the celebrated vocal ensemble Roomful of Teeth, which features Caroline Shaw, whose partita for Eight Voices I played a couple of years back on the show. They are Esteli Gomez and Martha Kluver, soprano, Caroline Shaw and Virginia Wonkin, alto, Eric Dudley, tenor, Avery Griffin, baritone, Dashon Burton, bass baritone, and Cameron Beauchamp, bass. And Rumford of Teeth's album, Michael Harrison, Just Constellations, was released on New Amsterdam in 2020. And that's about it for this time round. The Tonic will be back on Wednesday 1st of November at 1pm GMT. As ever, you can check the show's Instagram page for confirmation of that, the underscore tonic underscore. Also, it struck me that I should probably have said ages ago that if you were ever looking to track down any of the recordings you hear on this show, but the broadcast is, you know, over, or you can't quite locate the point in the podcast where they're mentioned, you can find a full archive of everything played in each show on the show's website, thetonic.online. Just click on the archive tab. And do drop me a message, of course, at any point, if you feel like, via Instagram or the website. Thanks to all at Threads, Gabe, Rosie, Lee, Freddie, and the whole crew. I'm Luke Fraser. Thanks for listening. <laughs>